congregation, many of God's people estimate the time of their conversion too late or too early. They may think, oh, it was that time and that sermon. Maybe it was earlier already. Maybe it was way later. It's hard to say exactly the time when conversion took place. But most important is that they are converted. I don't know what time the sunrise this morning. I don't know. But I saw the sun. So it's important that there is conversion and the time, the exact time is not too important, although it may be a help to know kind of when it happened. The same is also true for Luther, Martin Luther. When was he converted? Do we exactly know? Do we really know when? Was it the time that he was almost struck by lightning? on his way home to Eisleben, close to the forest, and he cried out and promised to go to a monastery. Or was it later, when the truth was applied to his heart and he began to understand something of what it means to go through the door? I would think it was later. And I'd like to read a few pieces from Luther himself that he explains what was going on in his soul. So then we see something of what's happening in his heart. And maybe you, maybe you can recognize that. And maybe you say, yes, that is, that is the real life. So a few, this one piece that I have cut in pieces so I have also the opportunity to make some comments in between. Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extreme disturbed conscience. You know, Martin Luther was a man with Feelings, deep feelings with high heights and deep depth. Some of God's people more stable, not such high heights and not so deep, just such deep depth, more calm and more equal. But Luther, he was sometimes what we call in the German language, Himmel hochjauchsend, and zum Tode betrieben to the death in sadness. So, he lived as a monk in the monastery. He felt as a sinner before God, extremely disturbed conscience. He was, it was very low. I could not believe that God was pleased with my satisfaction I did not love yet, I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. Was he converted? Angry with God. He hated him for being so righteous and punishing. He couldn't stand it. And he could not believe that he was pleased, that God was pleased with his satisfaction, with his good works. So he felt kind of awful. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul's writing, most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. He had the Bible open. And he was beating on that text. He wanted to crack that nut. He could not open it. The just shall live by faith. What does it mean? He could not wrap his head around it. He didn't understand it with his heart either. 
The just shall live by faith. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night. See the struggle? I gave heed to the context of the words. And then I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. I read it again. Then I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it's written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. So he was reading the Bible. The Pope, the cardinals, they could not help him. He was reading the Bible and just beating on the text. Lord, I would like to understand it. I am angry with thee. I don't understand this. Make it clear. And then he saw that it was a different righteousness, a given righteousness, not one you had to fabricate yourself, but a given righteousness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself. Through open gates that I totally, that a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. So the Lord opened it and showed him, Martin Luther, by grace only, by faith, by believing in the righteousness, not of yourself but of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that stone was lifted off from his heart, and he could believe it. He entered into paradise. The doors were opened unto him. Does that not make you jealous? But that did not happen overnight, right? It was a struggle for years. And he eventually found that peace and it calm for the soul. In the piece I just read, the word faith occurs four times. Faith. Namely by faith. Justified by faith. He through faith is righteous shall live. By faith only. Sola fide. And that is also the text for this evening about faith. John 1, verse 12 and 13. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So far. Our text is about true believing, true saving faith, believing. Three thoughts. It is receiving Christ. Receiving, not grabbing him, not stealing him, but receiving him, welcoming him. Receiving Christ. Verse 12a. But as many as received him, and also later in verse 12, even to them that believe on his name. 
Secondly, it makes sons of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power. Power? To become the sons of God. And in the third place, it comes from God. That's in verse 13, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So true believing is receiving Christ. It makes sons of God, and it comes from God. So you know the five slogans of the Reformation. I mentioned them yesterday evening as well, but I missed one. Five of them, sola scriptura, right? Only the Bible. No other books. The Bible is sufficient to save people. All the, all the complete truth is in there. And they need to read the Bible. And we need to have the Bible in the translations, in the languages of the people, so that they can read the Bible in their own native tongue. Sola gratia, by grace only, not by works, a grace. Sola fide, by faith alone, not by the sacraments, but by faith. I hope to come back to that. And solus Christus, Christ only. No other help, no angels, no people, only the Lord Jesus, the Savior, the High Priest, the King, the Prophet. Solus Christus. And soli Deo Gloria. To God alone the glory. Now, look at that. We need to know a little better what doctrine is and was of the Roman Catholic Church. Sometimes people are simplistic about it. And they say, oh, in the Roman, in the Roman Church, you have to do good works and to earn your points and to earn yourself into salvation. That is actually not true. The official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church is also by grace only. This is kind of confusing, right? But in the Council of Trent, they have officially stated that the Roman Catholic Church does not agree with Pelagius and also not with the semi-Pelagians. It was by grace only they confirmed that. They confirmed. But the problem is how you receive it. How you receive that grace. How you can do those good works. That's the point. And the point, the main point is then by the sacraments. Sacraments is the opposite of sola fide. Sacraments is the opposite of by grace only. They say by the sacraments only. And we know they have seven sacraments in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. Baptism and confirmation, which is kind of our early confession, and the confession that you confess your sins to a priest and they, that he gives you forgiveness, and the Roman Mass, we would say the Lord's Supper, and marriage, and the priest ordination, and the last rites before people die. Seven. We have only two. Why do we have only two? Why is marriage not a sacrament? Why is doing confession not a sacrament? Well, the Lord Jesus instituted only two. 
he is in, 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 in agreement with marriage, of course, as a ceremony, but he did nowhere state to the church, you marry those people in a special service. And that is true for baptism and for the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me and go teach all the Gentiles and baptize them. So we have only two of them. And of course, weddings and confessions and faith and installations are important things. There's ceremonies, but they are not sacraments. And for them, a sacrament is even more important than it is for us. For example, baptism is compared to an injection or an IV in the hospital. Sometimes people need IV, they need a needle in their arm and they need a solution dripping down into their veins so they get better. And so the Roman Catholic Church speaks about a spiritual infusion, a spiritual IV, so that God drips something into your soul. And baptism is one of them. And they speak of a gratia infusa. And if you have that gratia infusa in your heart, then you are able to do good works. Then you are able to obey. Then you are able to please God. And that's only because of the sacrament. So that's not of you. That's not because of you. You cannot do this on your own. It is only because of the sacrament that has infused it into you. So that sacrament is a substance. It is doing something to you. It changes you. It really changes you and gives you a potential to obey. See, that is exactly something we don't agree with. And in practice, in the Roman Catholic Church, although officially they say that it is by grace only, the people have been baptized, and they all think they can do it. And that they can obey, and so also please the Lord and go to heaven. Our reformers said, no way. Not by the sacraments. It is by faith only. By that simple trusting of the Lord Jesus Christ. That taking refuge unto him. That is the only means how the salvation, the grace can become yours. It's by faith only. You know, in the States, in the sunny side area, you have some huge lakes, artificial lakes. They dammed those lakes in order to collect the water for the summer. So during the summer, they could just do a network of, of, of canals. They can irrigate the land. So how does the water come from the lake to the land? by those canals and pipes. May I use that example? There's a reservoir of grace. And how does that grace become the grace in the heart of God's people, of sinners? What is the connection? What is the channel? What is the canal? What is the pipe? Well, that is exactly that faith. Faith is that connection. Faith is that empty hand. Faith is that receiving. Receiving of what the Lord offers and gives. That is the faith. We read in the Bible 
Hebrews 11, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Rewarder is faith or believing is the same a new work, the work of the New Testament. Do God's children deserve grace because they believe? No. There's no worthiness in faith. There's no worthiness in that hand, in that empty hand. There's no money on the, in the hand. It's no receiving of it. Believing is necessary. And faith is worthwhile. Because saving faith, but you don't earn anything with it. It is not a new work. Like the neo-nomists say, instead of doing good works, you need to believe. So instead of earning by the works, you need to earn by faith. No, you don't earn anything with it. And what does our text say? In 11, it begins with, he came to his own and his own received him, Lord. He came to his own people of Israel and they did not receive him. No, they received the Savior, but they did not receive him in their hearts. They just resisted him. They said, no, I'm not ready for that. He came to his own, his own received him, Lord. And then verse 12, but, oh, what a beautiful word, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So that is important, to believe in him, to receive him. But why would we need him? Let me talk about that first. We all have a tendency to minimize sin. We easily find mitigating circumstances and excuses for our sins. We think that others should understand us. I say, no, it is because, and they mention things that make sins look smaller. And people even reason this way, well, there is forgiveness for all sins, so it's not that bad either. There is forgiveness anyway. What do you think is the worst sin? The worst sin. The most heinous part of it, the core, the heart of all sin. There's something in every sin that provokes God to anger. Something very heinous. Is there something in sin that nauseates us and is an abomination to the Lord? Great chance that we still overlook it and don't realize what the main sin actually is. And what is it? The heart of sin is to treasure, to treasure something more than you treasure God. Sin is to have a delight in something, such a delight as you don't have in God. The heart of sin is to love stuff and people over the Creator. So it is a competition thing. It is a looking away from God and Christ and the truth. And the Lord sees it and feels it. How do you feel? How does a child feel when it seems like that mom loves the dog more than the child. 
happens. Or that the husband is more care for the dog than for his wife. That is to go so deep, that is so intense, that is so hurtful. And that is what our sin is, right? Sin is sin against the holy, righteous, and good doing God who deserves all the attention and all the glory and praise and joy if he just give it to someone else. That's idolatry, that is spiritual adultery. In the Bible, that sin is compared to irritating smoke. Remember, we have a fire in the backyard and the wind is the wrong way and you have to, your nose, you have to sit somewhere else. And it irritates you. Your eyes are just watering. Isaiah 65. Which say, stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose. A fire that burneth all the day. Do you realize that our sins are a smoke in the holy nostrils of God? A smoke all the day. Irritating. Provoke him to anger continually in the face. No wonder that he read in Nahum, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious, the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. Although right after it says, the Lord is slow to anger, and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. Lord has his way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So the most serious members of the church who are so loyal and so kind and so genuine and so supportive they can, if they have no new heart, then they are still a smoke in the nose of God. That's what Luther knew about. Do you know about that? That you have come to that place, you say, Lord, when all I do is a smoke in the holy nose of God. And then this feeling and knowing that, experientially, that it is all the day, not just half an hour, all the day, your whole life has been all those, all those years. So therefore, we need salvation. We need forgiveness. And that forgiveness is available. There is forgiveness with God. But how do we receive that forgiveness for myself? Not by the sacraments, but by receiving it, by believing it. That's what the Bible says. I don't care what people think. That's the Bible. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them, namely to them that believe on his name. Think of that. God remembering sin no more, throwing sins behind his back in the depth of the sea, removing it as far as the west from the east, to let sin disappear as a morning cloud. How would you feel about that? If the Lord would make it clear to you that there is forgiveness of sins, for the cheer of the sin is only by believing in him, not by doing good works, not by sacraments, not by presenting something, not being, by being pious and religious and crying and emotional 
although it's never, go, it's never without emotion, of course. And then to have 100% forgiveness of all things you've ever committed by faith. Without faith, we need to pay ourselves. And the Heiber Catechism in question 20, Lord's Day 7, reads as follows. Are all men then as they perished in Adam saved by Christ? Of course we know that this that's normal. What is the answer? No, only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by a true faith. See, that's the same the- theology of the Bible. That only they are engrafted in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive, don't refuse, but receive all his gifts by a true faith. So this evening hour, I may present the Lord Jesus Christ to you. Our forefathers even did not hesitate to use their offer to bring it to your attention and to show you that you don't have to pay yourself, but that is only to believe in him. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ by a true faith. Think of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, the table set and bread on the table and wine on the table. And then someone sitting in the pew, looking at it. But it's not only looking at it, it is that that's not partaking, right? Looking and in, in, in the pew is different. And then getting up out of the pew and walking through the aisle and sitting at the table. It's not the sitting at the table that is important. And then seeing that I break the bread, you see it. But that's not the real thing, to see it. What it is, is to receive it out of the hand of the minister. And, and more than that, to receive it in your mouth and to eat it. And so the Lord Jesus presents himself as the bread of life. And sinners are offered to receive it and to eat it, to eat his flesh, to drink his blood. And that in itself is sufficient to bring that grace home. There is a faith not fabricated, not made by a man, but also a gift of God and also worked by the Holy Spirit and given to the elect. So although it is offered and presented and there's an invitation, a warning and an explanation of it and yet nobody will receive it. But those that are made to receive it and are worked receive the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. So faith is important. Let me just quote you four quotes of John Calvin, not Luther, but Calvin, about faith. Faith is the key, the key, which opens the gate that leads us to God. See? Have you ever, by God's grace, used that key? So the door opened when you received him. Second quote of Calvin. The gospel contains nothing else but repentance and faith. There's nothing else you need than repentance. Of course, that is always connected 
to know your sins and to repent of them, to be sorry for them, to re repentance and faith. The gospel contains nothing else but repentance and faith. And the next one, true faith confines its view so entirely to Christ that it neither knows nor desires to know anything else. The true faith is so entirely focused on the Lord Jesus Christ that they even don't think about something else. It neither knows nor desires to know anything else. It's enough. The Lord Jesus Christ, enough. Has he been enough for you? Believing that honey is sweet is sufficient from, is, is different, is different from tasting it. Believing is to see and to taste that the Lord is God. So, believing is not something of your mind. I know that honey is sweet. I know that. I heard that. I remember that. No, it is tasting it. Oh, this is so sweet. It's experiential. It's a sweetness in your spiritual palate. So, again, the question. Have you tasted the sweetness of the gospel for a lost wretch like you. Last one. Believing is sensing the reality, the love, and the power of God. So believing is not only knowing, it's sensing. Your senses are involved. Sensing the reality, the love, and the power of God. That was the first thought. Quite long, I see. Let's go to the second one. But as many as received them, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And let's make it a little shorter. The power... So the Lord gives them the power to do something, the ability to, uh, to, to acquire something, to be able to, what? No. The word power here means the right or the status. As many as received him, to them gave he the right, the status, the position, the blessing of becoming the sons of God. So that is an adoption thing. The Lord has decided to adopt the church from eternity. He is also adopting the church in reality on earth. After they were born and repented, there is also that immediately that adoption of God's people. They are not just servants, but they are his, and the Lord is their father. Galatians 4. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So all God's people, even they who don't dare to say it, are shy and don't have the assurance, that all God's people have been adopted by the Lord. As many as received him, all of them, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that he should be called the sons of God. 
So think of a court case, a heavenly court case. You see the prosecuting attorney. You see the accused sinner. You see the judge. And then the attorney, the prosecuting attorney, the prosecutor is listing all the all the sins, all the crimes that person has committed. It's a long list. And the accusations are even true. And there are witnesses. And the accused person has nothing to defend himself with. So do you think it's happening? When the judge comes with his final verdict, I hear not guilty. I hear acquitted. But what's wrong here? As it can be. Yes, it can. How, how is it possible? Well, it is God that justifieth. And God is doing this. What shall we then say to these things if God be for us? If the judge is for us, who can be against us? They can all accuse you. But if God justifies, but how can that be? How can God justify a sinner? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for his arm. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things, also the adoption? Who is it that condemneth? It is Christ that died. He rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So that is what the Lord is doing. For what the law could not do, in that was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. So Martin Luther knew that. He knew about that paradise, entering into paradise by being adopted. The Lord, becoming a child of God. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. We are not saved by law keeping. You're not saved by law keeping. You can keep all the laws. You cannot be saved by all the law keeping. You can only be saved by doing nothing. And letting the Lord do all work by faith only and receiving that sounds so easy. And I still hear it. I still hear my minister saying it himself years ago. It's so easy to be saved. And that's why it is so terribly difficult. You like to do something, right? You like to do something, to have something, to present something, to be someone, and to be nothing, having nothing, only unrighteousnesses and filthy rags, and then to come empty-handed and to receive it out of the hands of God. That's how people are saved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And in that way, the Lord Jesus is received, received as a satisfying Savior, received as a treasure nothing compares to, receiving him as a substitute for sin, receiving him as the sovereign God for sinners. That he becomes so precious, suitable, necessary, and is all comes from God. And we see in the last part. In verse 12, we heard about believing, and verse 13 is connected to that. Which were born, 
born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So let me summarize that. The believing is impossible. You're invited to, we must. It's explained what it is. There is an inability in people. They need to be born again in order to believe. You say you should have told me first. No, this is the sequence here. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of the blood, not of something we have. We cannot produce faith ourselves. It's absolutely a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. You like that? You say, well, I, I don't like to hear that. Come on. Just tell the people to believe. It's way easier. Don't tell them that they can't, that it's a gift, that it's, it's an obstacle. Well, I can relate to that. I remember the time that I hated that sentence. Faith is the gift of God. What in the world? Why? And then the Lord brought me to a place that I could not believe. That I had to believe. That I couldn't. Whatever I tried, I could not believe. I could not get myself so far to trust in the Lord. I knew the dog very well. It's by grace only, by faith only, that I could not believe myself at all. And then the Lord showed me the text again. Faith is a gift of God. And yes, that come, becomes then sweet. That believing is not something you do yourself. It is something the Lord works. And he is willing to work it. Faith, a gift of God. So what's first? Believing or being regenerated? Well, how can someone believe if there's no new life in his soul? New life is first, and then the believing comes after. And yet we don't say, be regenerated. Have a new heart. We don't say that. We say, repent ye, repent ye, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not commanding you to give yourself a new heart. That's absurd. So think of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he could not believe, but by what the Lord works, by the faith the Holy Spirit gives in the heart. In congregation, that is also the doctrine of the Reformation. It is God's work. Only God's work. Calvin again. Faith does not proceed from ourselves but is the fruit of spiritual regeneration. So, that's important. And again, Calvin, as no man is excluded from calling upon God, not going to stop anyone praying, right? No, no. As no man is excluded from calling upon God, the gate of salvation is set open to all men. Neither is there any other thing which keeps us back from entering in, in, save only our own unbelief. No man is excluded from praying, and the gate of salvation is set open to all men, 
Neither is there any other thing which keeps us back from entering and save only our own unbelief. If you're, the doors are open. If you're kept back, you're only kept back, not by the Lord, but by your own unbelief. And then he continues, though it is offered to all for salvation, it does not yield its fruit in any but the elect. See it? That's Calvin. That's our Reformation. So to invite all people and to say, and the Holy Spirit is doing it. God shows himself, again, Calvin, God shows himself to be reconciled to the whole world. When he invites all men, without exception, to faith, in Christ. For Christ is made known and held out to the few of all. But the elect alone are they whose eyes God opens, that they may seek him by faith. See that? That's, that's the Bible. Sometimes feels contradictory, but it's not say. Yeah, that's the beauty of that colorful and eternal word of God. So we need to hear both. We need to hear the invitation that comes to all people. Bold the minister who does not preach the gospel to all people and keeps the door closed for some and opens the door only for a certain amount. Woe to him. Also, woe to the minister if he deceives people by just giving the impression that, that they should do it themselves and leaves the Holy Spirit out. Deceiving people in not explaining what it is, how a poor sinner meets a rich Savior. Congregation, as many as received him, is that not you? So sad. Being in church for years and years and years. Having not received him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power, the right, the status to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Amen.